On this week's bonus episode, we talk to Dan Hasty, the voice of the West Michigan Whitecaps. We check in on Dan, see how he's doing. We get his thoughts about the draft, what the 2020 season looks like, some of his thoughts, his process behind the Paul Konerko, Spencer Tolkelson swing, and we answer the questions from Twitter. So thank you for everybody who gave us a question yesterday. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Next week's guest is yet to be determined. We might just go solo, just Chris and I. We'll see. But until then, have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the bonus episode. Welcome to a bonus track. Bonus track of Tigers SRD here on the Tiger Magazine Report Network and the Overtime Media Network. You know who we are. So you listened to the first part with Trevor, who thanks again for him joining us. That We talked a lot about, a little bit about radio background stuff. So it was kind of funny. Because our next guest is a radio vet, broadcast voice of the West Michigan Whitecaps. And it was funny hearing him talk about various boards he's worked on and being a radio producer. And Dan, I know that you come from that life where it's amazing when you see the various technologies from going from Detroit to West Michigan and seeing the kind of like the the various things. And we're talking about that a little bit. And I, I always have to wonder from a technical standpoint gear wise is it always like does it does it really matter to you when you get in the booth like just when you're uh, dealing with like just the, the technical side of things and as long as it works it's fine or are you kind of a tech head when it comes to kind of broadcasting gear <laughs> yeah uh well first of all guys thanks for having me uh but as it pertains to the booth itself oh yeah i mean if you're a visiting radio broadcaster going into you know somebody else's radio booth you know the the setup you have is everything. And because you're in the minor leagues, you have to know your equipment front to back. So you have to know everything you have available to you, how to make it sound even better than it probably should. Uh, there was a, it was actually, I got a tip from another broadcaster late last year of uh, turning up the crowd mic to like absurdly high levels, <laughs> mainly because if you turned it up as the pitch was coming in, you would get the pop of the ball hitting the glove and then you would turn it back down right away. So you'd get like the moment of the bat hitting the ball or the ball hitting the glove and then you turn it back down. And it's that those little things that make your broadcast nice. sound like a major league broadcast. That's awesome. Yeah. I was just kind of curious on that end because I always, we always hear that various sounds like we heard the, it was a snaggle puss over double A Chris, the guy you're always talking about? Oh, yeah, the, the Bowie Bay Sox. It's yeah. snaggle puss, he did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're not making fun of the broadcast, it's just the, everybody's got a different delivery oh, and sound. Yeah, but, <laughs> but um, so thanks for joining us this evening, Dan. I know that right now baseball is back, I'm sure you're excited for it. There's just a lot of different various elements with this right now, the 60 game schedule that we'll get to, but it is. Just the, the back and forth between MLB, the MLB and the, and the players watching it on Twitter. You, from your standpoint, it was, it was this just, just like getting a bowl of popcorn and just watching it back and forth. It was just kind of just it just seemed it dragged on. It just it just made things seem like it just went on longer with everything going on with it's just it, it just dragged on too long, in my opinion. But for you is watching this all standpoint. What was your thoughts about this? It's just. You're, you're like good baseball's back and or you're just like baseball's back but eh, just this whole COVID-19 cloud still hangs over well I'll say this I usually only get popcorn to watch things that I enjoy so I would not <laughs> have gotten popcorn to something like this uh you know this was tough I mean to see them have to go through this and 
I kind of, I can't get off of the fact that this feels, even with an agreement, like we're still standing on immensely shaky ground, right? I mean, we're, we're still just a couple of variables with the virus away from not playing. You know, I, it's kind of like trying to play checkers while on a speedboat. <laughs> like, you can't keep the pieces in the same spot. You just, you're bouncing all over the place. Like, everything continues to move, and you can't, you can't have any stability. So you, how can you play if the board keeps moving around? So, you know, I hope that they're able to figure out, you know, this whole thing. I guess if I had to say I'm, I'm cautiously excited because there's still a long time between today and the day that they want to start playing major league baseball games on July 24th. Yeah. You know, that's, that's funny. It, it, I can picture and I'm hopeful that we're going to play baseball, but I can picture a scenario where everything ends up getting canceled anyway. And then we just start left with, so we just argued about labor stuff for three months. That was our season. You could have just canceled it originally and we've been okay. But now we get to see all this ugly stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah it's like baseball turned into a, a live showing of days of our lives for three months. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, part of that agreement, what do we have? We have uh, the 30, 30 man rosters and 30 man taxi squad there in Toledo. And I'm just thinking for somebody who calls minor league games, maybe, uh, maybe you could just pop over to Toledo, do a little, uh, little practice, you know, call some of those games, <laughs> well, some of those scrimmages. Is, I, I guess what I'm curious is, is who are they going to play? <laughs> I mean, are they going to play other extra taxi squad players? Is that kind of the setup for how Toledo is going to work? I guess I know as much as you guys do about it. Maybe you guys know a little bit more about it, but still kind of trying to piece together what this means at that level. And obviously we still yet to hear anything on the white caps end of things. I can tell you what I would guess would be the outcome. I I'd be surprised if we played baseball this year, I would love to be wrong, but I would be surprised if we played baseball this year, but as it pertains to Toledo, I mean, I I still think that the tigers are going to play it like this. I think they're going to say, you know what? Last year, 38 games in, we were 18 and 20. That was three games better than the eventual World Series champion Washington Nationals. So mm-hmm. if they were to go, you know, even even 10 and 10 to start their season, I mean, that's see, that's the one thing I'm like really excited about because every game is going to matter so much. It's going to feel yeah. so much more exciting. And by the way, fantasy baseball leagues are going to be off the hook fun this year. I know it feels short, but it's going to be great. So, you know, if they are able to come out of the gate – 10 and 10 or some somewhere in that neighborhood. Now all of a sudden you go, well, maybe, maybe Casey Mize needs to be here. Maybe Matt Manning needs to be here because again, there's no guarantee that this rebuild works. And in this shortened season, this really could be this group's only real chance to find success. I mean, nothing is guaranteed. So if you have the chance to be a 500 team late in the season. I mean, the whole point is to be competitive. So, you know, at first I was thinking, you know what, like just leave them down there, you know, wait till next year. But if they show that they're good enough to hang with the first three or four weeks of the 60 game season, then at that point, I think I might feel differently. Yeah. It's going to definitely be interesting. I mean, we know the strength of the system is the pitching and, uh, and we talked a bunch, you know, back in two lifetimes ago in the regular offseason. Roger and I we were just constantly talking about how it seemed like the Tigers were bulking up their extra pitching 
to try to prevent them from having to call up the prospects, you know, with, with Nova and, uh, you know, the, the rule five kid they got from the Yankees and I've you know, a bunch of other, it's been so long ago, I've already forgotten, but, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like it would have been a little bit more likely to go for it if they, if the expanded playoffs had gone through, cause that would have been absolute chaos, you know, 16 teams in a 60 game sprint. Man. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I will say like, if, if you're a betting man, like this is the year to take like that long shot, right? Because mm-hmm. you still just, I mean, cause they did expand the field slightly. I mean, they didn't obviously go yeah. up to 16 teams, but they did a little bit more. So, I mean, if there's a team that's going to sneak in that you like somewhere in the middle of the pack, I mean, with a short sample size and a short season, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of year where you hammer something like that. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess we don't know the exact dates of the schedule or, or anything like that, but we know the the makeup, right? It's going to be 10 games against each of your division opponents. And then what? Uh, four games what, against four, uh, four, four game. against the, the other five. So yeah, against the, NL 10 Central. against the Indians, uh, White Sox and twins probably won't go all that well. Um, and then who else are they going to face? They're going to face the Cubs, the Pirates, the Cardinals, the Brewers, the, Brewers, the Reds. And who am I missing? The Reds. The Reds yeah. yeah. I don't know. So I, so I actually misspoke. So the postseason format is going to stay the same. So it's still five playoff teams each league, three divisions, two wild cards. So there's no changes with that. Obviously, the only real significant change will be in the National League where they use the DH. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of feels like a weird time to just randomly, like, like send that one through <laughs> like the virus, the virus doesn't care if you're a pitcher or a designated hitter, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, but you know, then also of course the, the minor league rule that they're implementing at the major league side to put a runner at second base. And that's a whole nother conversation. I feel, I think, I think it'll feel a little gimmicky. Um, I, I it works well at the minor league level because let's be honest, like nobody cares who wins or loses. <laughs> like at the end of the day, like, you know, if, if the West Michigan Whitecaps lose by a score of 10 to three, but Riley green hits three solo homers, do fans really get upset that they lost 10 to three? I don't know. Maybe a couple, but there's a lot more people who would look at that box score and go, Oh, Whitecaps had a good day. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. No, it, yeah, it, it's just, it's weird that this, this, because we are, they already had a bunch of rules coming in this year. You know, the, the three batter minimum for relievers, like all that stuff that I've kind of forgotten about, that's going to be folded in there too. But yeah, we were, we were talking in our other conversation about the, the universal DH thing. It was basically, I, I was getting upset because it seems like neither party was particularly concerned about the, the health of the game. They were just concerned about bargaining chips. <laughs> so, so the, the owners were putting out the fig leaf, like, Hey, or, or I don't know if that's fig leaf, an olive branch. There you go. Um, <laughs> where, uh, where like, Hey, we'll give you the, the, Universal DH next year too. Well, what do you think? What do you think? And the players are like, no. So they're like, fine, we'll take it back, and you'll have to fight for it in the next CBA. It's like, oh man, baseball. Baseball's in a tough spot right now, guys. I mean, yep. you think about what they just went through from a labor standpoint. It doesn't get any easier because after this baseball season or whatever can be played of it, then you have the expiration of the agreement between major and minor league baseball, and obviously that was a hot button issue before this virus. But then on top of that, the following year, then you have the expiration of the current collective bargaining agreement. So it's like, you've got a a triple whammy of issues. Boom, boom, boom each year. And so, 
you know, I, 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 I wish I'd say that I think we've seen the last of these issues, but I think it's just going to continue along. And I mean, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. Hopefully the major league players and owners can figure out something more long-term so we don't have to go through this mess. And in terms, even from a developmental standpoint, Dan, talking to Brian Pena a couple, uh, a couple months back, discussing how these players are staying in shape and in terms of even just you lose a year of minor league development. So the, the likes of seeing Brian Packer and Riley Green, you know, you, you suspect that Packer, excuse me, Green would be on that taxi squad. But at the same time, the development of guys who are potentially the, the draft class that's coming this year, plus last year's class, which, which was doing well, very well. And what you saw in West Michigan last year, that also kind of takes a, I think, more precedent of your rebuild back a little bit because you don't know what you have. I mean, you have all these guys right now sitting in, in Toledo and Erie. They have a glutton of outfielders right now that they have to make a decision on. I mean, it, the likes of uh, Cam Gibson, Jacob Robson, for example, comes to mind too. And so that I think personally for some teams out there, they, for the Tigers, it's just, it stands out as what, what are they going to do here with some of these players who may have to make a decision whether they want to play baseball or not, because their, their livelihoods in stake. Yeah, but even at that point, I'm not convinced that guys with real, you know, potential big league prospects, you know, for their own futures will be walking away so they can go work desk jobs or anything like that. But, but yeah, I mean, some of the guys who have been around and maybe are a little bit older, uh, even if they are playing at the higher levels, like a double and triple A, I mean, there are guys like that. So those are probably the guys that are taking a step back right about now. And they're going, you know, hey, I'm 25, I'm 26 years old. I've been at double A for two or three seasons, you know, I mean, and I'm not on the taxi squad. So clearly they don't have me in their plans. So I think those are probably those guys, those tweeners that, you know, that aren't low enough in the chain to get significant time at places like West Michigan or Lakeland, but yet they're not good enough to be on the taxi squad, a 30 man roster, or I'm sorry, a 60 man roster. So, yeah, I think it's those guys who will probably take a step back and have to reevaluate. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, even for, for guys like that, and that kind of leads into one of the questions I wanted to ask you, too, about the extra innings. Like we talked about the extra innings rule. We talked about some of the fears a little bit. But what happens if the Tigers run out of players? I mean, the injuries, those kind of things happen. So it's like this this big roster of talent where – you might have to see a a catcher like we we're talking about this earlier with with Trevor about some of the the catchers you may not see like a Cooper Johnson like I mean this is totally hypothetical of course but all the injuries that could happen the pitchers too you just have to almost like throw them out there and see what happens and and that kind of talks about service time and the manipulation of service time you've seen so far uh, among teams so the Tigers have to definitely be careful with that that whole manipulation time clock. I mean, once it starts, it starts. Yeah. And I guess that goes, it kind of works as a selling point for the types of guys we just talked about, right? Those, those tweeners at double a, those guys who have been there for a couple of seasons and maybe didn't necessarily make the 60 man, because I would have to assume that over the course of a 60 game season, every team's going to be able to adjust who's on and who's off that roster. I mean, just because you submitted a list of 60 names doesn't mean you can't change it. If in the event you have a bunch of guys go down or a bunch of guys get sick, I'll tell you this, 
if a lot of guys get sick, nobody's playing baseball. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be pretty obvious. So, you know, I mean, they'd have to be extremely unlucky to have to go through a 60 man roster. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, that's yeah. It's just one of those things I was trying to think of, like not be worst case scenarios. But uh, speaking of best case scenarios, though, the Tigers with three players in the top 20 in Baseball America's recent uh, top 100 list. And, and that marks the first time that and we talked about this before the show about the Tigers making progress where outside of Cameron Mabin it was 2006, I want to say 2005, 2006, I can't remember the exact year he was. To see a, a positional player like Spencer Torkelson who comes in at number 11 that high says something you gives you positivity about the organization and then the, tor- see Tarek Skubal move up it was almost 40 spots from like he was in the 73 now he's in the in the 30s says a lot about the Tigers progress but I mean it also makes you feel good about this draft class and Dan I mean I know you were you did an article on Motor City Bengals a little bit about the top prospects you see in the organization but also, the the comparison for Spencer Torkelson to Paul Konerko was was spot on. I mean, like doing that video for you was kind of like going, "Well, well oh, wow, man, you're you're really onto something with that." And it's just it's a flawless swing, and and they have that kind of already sixty grade or hitting tool and a high power tool already. It, it just says something about what kind of special player he could be. Well, I appreciate that. And I try to keep those video comparisons and, and the more serious analysis to experts like Chris over there. But I mean, Man. when it came to, 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 to Paul Canerco, I mean, you know, you just try to kind of frame it as like, you know, can you find anybody who looks like how he swings the bat, but more importantly, you know, what kind of production profile should you expect? Because I don't think it's fair to get a guy like, even if it's the first overall pick to get anybody to come in and say, okay, well, uh, in this town, we've had Miguel Cabrera. So if you could be like Miguel Cabrera, that would be great. Go ahead. Thank you very much. So (laughs) I don't know if that's fair. So, you know, if, if we take a step back and we go, okay, what would be, uh, what would be a scenario in which we would all be thrilled? And I think if Paul Canerico ended up in the Detroit Tigers lineup and you got that type of player, I think people would be very happy with that. I think, I know I would be elated with that. I mean, very consistent, just does everything well. Um, and obviously has some power that is consistent from year to year. So, you know, that, that's always been something that I've been hoping to see the Tigers go get. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that Gage Workman is an outstanding defensive third baseman because that's the reason Spencer Torkelson never played third base at Arizona state. I'm hoping that Torkelson is, is low key above average playing over at third base. And it was just because Workman was just that good that it bumped him over to first. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it is definitely a, a bit of a gambit there. I think, you know, we're all a little bit like have a raised eyebrow to see what, what Torkelson can do at third base. Um, and it's kind of a fun to, to, to picture him, hitting like Paul Canerco while playing an average third base. I mean, then you got an MVP caliber player. Um, but I think we, we, everybody knows like this is the, this, you got him for the bat, you get him for the bat and, and anything else is a gravy. So, and I've watched a little bit of gauge work. I mean, he's a pretty good defender for sure. I don't, I don't know if he's like, you know, Matt Chapman over there, but he's good enough to slide over to shortstop and, and handle himself. So that's, that's a good sign. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, we actually, I got a question here late about third baseman in the system. I don't know. Did you see that, Roger? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the question right now. Go for it. It's just, well, it's uh, somebody, somebody, who is it? Uh, J.B. Craig, some some name like that. What is it? Uh, A.B. Craig. All right. Yep. 
assuming there's a minor league season this this year, there won't be. Uh, who plays third at West Michigan, Lakeland, and Erie? Uh, which is kind of an interesting question because they do have uh, 16 third basemen now. You know, they really did go all in at that spot. And I know there was some talk about possibly letting Workman get some time at shortstop as well as third mm-hmm. base. Uh, but in terms of what I think they'll do at the third base spot, uh, I think the obvious answer for West Michigan is Nick Quintana. I think that's who the, the Tigers were expecting to have the everyday third base job to begin the season. I mean, if let's say we had played ball this year, I don't think Spencer Torkelson would have ever set foot in West Michigan being that the Whitecaps are a low A club. So, you know, like what we saw two years ago, Casey Mize went straight to advanced day and I'm sure that, you know, they'd like to have him, you know, uh, in their building down in Lakeland, give all the amenities of all that, you know, the, the investments that they've made at those, at those training spots. So I think he would have gone straight to Lakeland. So I think Quintana would have probably, probably spent some significant time at third base. And we would have really gotten an idea if what we saw from Quintana last year was a fluke. And if he's a better player than he indicated, because he had a, he had a hard time in West Michigan last year, but before Torkelson would have arrived in Lakeland, I would have expected a third baseman for the flying Tigers to have been Andre Lipsius. I think that's the obvious Mm -hmm. third baseman at the time. But now that the Tigers went way over and above to go get help on the left side of the infield primarily you know Trey Cruz obviously would have gone somewhere I think we would have saw him in West Michigan before long and you know Gage Workman Spencer Torkelson we don't know what Colt Keith is exactly going to do but I think Colt Keith is probably a guy that would have ended up in maybe GCL but we would have saw him in West Michigan probably next season yeah maybe as a you know there's some discussion about maybe playing him in the outfield but yeah if you could stick at third base you work on that too so yeah I mean it's and we t- talked about, you mentioned uh, Lipschitz and, and Quintana. They also took Ryan Kreidler uh, last year, who was like a shortstop third baseman. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it is an interesting question to see how that would have played out. But, uh, yeah. I, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to come into play this year. There is another question, too. We did get a question from Joe Dexter, who was at Buckeye Radio. No offense. We don't hold that against you, we promise. We don't take those questions. Go on. (laughs) With the strange season structure of missed COVID, has anyone's opinions changed on if any of the big three arms will make it to the majors this year? Could the plan also change for Jake Rogers with the 30 roster spots? And that, that part was a really good question, but um, Dan, Dan, you want to take a shot at this question first? Well, I love Jake Rogers. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, the way that he plays defense is so much better than the way that 90% of catchers play defense. And I think that the value of a great defensive catcher is so often underestimated. I think people don't really give that the proper credence. I mean, the ability to call a game, the ability to steal strikes for your pitcher, the ability to control a run game. It's just, there's not a single defensive position that controls what the other team does more than a catcher. So I'm a big fan of Jake Rogers from that perspective. I, I'm just hoping that Jake Rogers is a guy that can hit you 220 or 225 because the power he has, if he's at 225, guy at the plate, he's probably hitting you somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 home runs. And catchers usually don't even hit 15 to 20 home runs. So. He's going to be, if he can even be that, that low-level offensive 225-15 home run guy, we're talking about a two- or three-war player. He's just that talented behind the plate. Now, 
The question is, is his back good enough to ever get to that point? Uh, but to answer the question about the big three arms, we kind of went over that as well, but it really will just depend on how they start. You know, they started better than people thought last year. Uh, I don't think the Tigers will put those big three in the big leagues to start this resumption of play for this 60 game season. I think they're going to let the guys that they brought in to give those major league spots to, I think they're going to let them give it a shot. And, and, you know, that's what they brought them here for. Even the Ivan Novas of the world, they're going to give them that shot. And if they have success, and on top of it, some of those guys go down, then maybe you have that conversation. But, you know, with such a short season and you don't play in front of your own fans, you know, <laughs> there's not going to be a lot of people doing if there's not a lot of people in the ballpark. So, you know, you don't yeah. think about it from that angle too. So I would say, I think they're going to ride it out at least for the first couple of, you know, first handful of games, see what they have. And then if there's reason to consider bringing those guys up, I'd be all for it because again, nothing is guaranteed. So if you can tell me that the Tigers can have some kind of a, a surprise run with those kinds of guys at the helm, I'm all for it. Remember how much fun 2006 was? I would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. I, I guess we did kind of touch on the pitchers, but I do. I, I feel like they have also, we don't even know how teams are going to approach this season from pitching standpoint. They might, who knows? I mean, starters might only go three, four innings. For, for the first uh, 20 days or something like that, just to make sure nobody gets hurt. So we could just be seeing basically modified bullpenning. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there are enough arms. We Michael Fulmer is apparently back to full health now. So that's another, you know, big arm. You got Boyd, you got Norris, you've got uh, Nova. We talked about Zimmerman is still out there. I, I don't think they're just going to cut him. Um, you can see like somebody like Dario or Agrisol. Yeah. 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 making the roster too. You have even, I hate to say this, but Hector Santiago might get some play because he's a veteran, and for whatever reason, the, the they're just going to, you know, I hope not. I mean, hope to, you start Tyler Alexander over him, but that's just, you know, that's just me. But yeah, I mean, they, they have a this. bunch of arms. Is there going to be a scenario where like Matthew Boyd is a huge chip at the modified trade deadline because he basically had like two good starts? i mean that's the thing yeah like i'm i'm very curious we touched on this a little bit about what we might see at the trade deadline and i I just i don't imagine the tigers making any big moves or teams going uh you know i mean i guess boyd would be the kind that a team would go after just because he's got multiple years of control left but i still feel like there's we see anything it'll be small moves but uh but who knows i mean maybe (laughs) and maybe the tigers will clear out They'll, they'll trade boyd norris and fulmer or something crazy, but uh, no, I, I just think, and, and with Jake Rogers, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to change their plans for him. It was, it was clear, you know, with the, the Austin Romine signing that they were going to try to get him more development in Toledo. They want him to be an everyday catcher there. And I think, I think that basically the same, same idea holds here. It's not going to be the same as, you know, playing in triple a, but I think they're going to want Romine to be their everyday catcher in the big leagues. And they'll probably carry, They'll definitely carry another catcher, obviously, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if they have Haas and Griner right. on the 30-man major league team and let Rodgers be the primary catcher down in the taxi squad with, uh, who we said, John Nunez and maybe maybe Dylan Dingler, maybe Cooper Johnson. I don't know. You know, I, I look at that, that catching setup, and my, my first thought is, you know, Rodgers being down there, and I, and I hear about Austin Romine, and my first thought is, isn't is that exactly what the Tigers are hoping Jake Rogers turns into? I mean, an an Austin Romine type player, 
little bit of pop, not a crazy high batting average, but calls a great game and plays good defense behind the plate. Rogers defense is probably farther ahead, but Romine's back clearly is a lot more trustworthy, but I mean, you almost kind of see the blueprint of, I think what the Tigers would like Jake Rogers to become in Romine. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I would love for Jake Rogers to just, I mean, even like, is there, do you guys think there's a chance that, uh, Dingler might because I mean you talk about some of the potentially playing for his speed maybe play the outfield or do you guys think he's going to end up behind the play I mean I I think they drafted him to be a catcher but I did see some talk about him playing over the position possibly yeah I mean maybe maybe just to get his bat they might try him because I think I do think he'll be in the taxi squad I assume that most of the new draft picks will be in the taxi squad because they're probably going to be you know one of the Tigers top 30 prospects or whatever I know that won't be the exact uh, way they do it, but it wouldn't shock me if he catches some and also plays outfield just so he, you know, stays limber and, and he gets a try. But I, I don't picture that being something he's going to do regularly in like real competitive games, at least not in the, the in the the near future. I could see, you know, if he turns into like a great Buster Posey style hitter, then sure, yeah, play him wherever the hell he wants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I like I like Dylan Dingler's profile. I think it's super unique. Uh, you don't really see guys like like Dingler's profile. I mean, a, a catcher slash center fielder. You kidding? Like, is that a real thing? So uh, I'm excited to see what Dingler can bring from a defensive side. I think he's going to be one of these guys that you could probably put just about anywhere. Um, you know, if, if his bat has as much pop as the the short sample size that he put up at Ohio State would indicate. Uh, I think there's a little more power there than the people expect. And uh, I, I liken him to Brandon inch. And if the tigers were able to draft a Brandon inch type player in round two, I, I would stop being upset about the picks that the tigers have made in round two, because Brandon inch was a, was a, a 20 war player for his entire major league career and, and was a huge piece to that 06 team and a couple of other teams. So yeah, g- g- give me Dingler as a Brandon inch 2.0. I'd be happy. I'd take that all the way to the bank. Yeah, and I think there there is a history of guys getting drafted as catchers, basically moving to the outfield or whatever because they're they're bat. And I think with Jason Worth and Will Myers and stuff like that. But I don't know. I think yeah, I think they're going to want to keep Bigler a catcher for now. But we'll see. Like I said, it, it kind of de- depends on the development of the bat. Yeah, I mean, and Dan, in terms of other guys that you liked in the draft, that Daniel Cabrera, who signed today, liked his Vance profile. He, Good bat, left-handed bat, which is a good sign in Comerica. What are your thoughts about Daniel Cabrera and where he's going to – do you think he's going to be a guy in the taxi squad, A, and B, is it just it, – in terms of just a matter of time before he makes a session? Because I, I like his profile. I like the way he played the outfield. He was kind of like – and it's something that Chris and I talked about this last week. All these guys are good clubhouse guys. They're leaders. They're, they're very – I mean, talking about Dingler being just like just kind of – I think he was uh, – among one of the co-captains at Ohio State, and then for Cabrera, he had a he wore number eight, which was a, a specific number handed to LSU players, and and even talking a little bit with Zach Hessen, and that for LSU to have that kind of presence down there or that be that wear that number that means a lot. So to have that kind of says something about Cabrera's uh, upside. Well, as somebody with a couple of nephews and a baby of his own on the way. Uh, Daniel Tiger is a very <laughs> apt nickname for this young man. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to how the Tigers play with that. But 
in terms of his ability, I mean, I mean, I heard some comparisons to Brett Gardner, but that was a bit, I thought that was a bit extreme. I mean, Gardner has just got so much speed, but uh, mm-hmm. again, like, again, I, I like what he can do a lot. I, I think one thing, the thing I want, the reason I wanted him with the first pick of round two was the Tigers don't really have to develop a whole lot there. Like the, the Tigers have struggled to develop offensive production among their draft picks. So that was why I wanted them to take Cabrera with pick 38. Cause I thought out of all the bats that are available, he had by far the most advanced one. And thus it would take the littlest amount of work to have that translate into the minor leagues. So I, I feel like Cabrera was like a ready-made option to start producing from the moment he hit the ground. So, you know, he's your kind of guy that would have probably gone straight to West Michigan and we would have had a lot of fun watching him over the course of the second half. But, you know, Cabrera is just, he's just farther along than most guys. I mean, to be able to get Dingler at 38 and then to be able to get Cabrera on the swing back, I mean, that, that to me made their draft. They made some other nice picks later on. I I liked seeing Colt Key. That was a, that was a nice surprise too, but to be able to get both Dingler and Cabrera, Cabrera being the guy I was hoping they would pull the trigger on to start the second round, but to get him and the consensus, I think we could probably all agree that Dingler was the best name among the position players, at least from an overall value standpoint that was available on the start of day two. Yeah. I'd be really fascinated to see their draft board beginning on day two to see. It wouldn't shock me if Cabrera was number two on their board behind Dingler. Uh, you know, maybe there were a couple other guys, but I'm sure he was probably in their top 10. And so to get him, you know, 30 picks later, it was, yeah, that was a, a tremendous value for them. You know what yeah. I really like, and I'll, I'll say this as it pertains to draft boards, you know, there's always a lot of talk about, Oh, well, we just take the best player available uh, on our board. Uh, you know, we weren't looking at a position of need or anything like that. Well, let's, let's also remember that if you and I decide we need a certain something to our organization, we can stack our draft board any way we want. Exactly. So <laughs> if there are 55 position players before the first pitcher, that just means I thought 55 players were better than any of the pitchers. So uh, again, yeah. I mean, you, you can modify your draft board to make it look however you, you know, whatever makes you sleep at night. But again, like they, they, they clearly had an interest and they did so last year in position players. And there's no shame in that. I mean, if anything, they injected a lot of life into their position player prospect core. And, and honestly, I, I'm, I'm proud of what they did. I thought that they absolutely crushed it. Probably the best draft I've seen them have since they started this rebuild. And, and maybe since, you know, way back when they were drafting guys like Justin Verlander about a decade and a half ago. Yeah. And, and Roger, you were talking about like, the, the, the mentality of these guys and you know, the good clubhouse guys, even, even Colt Keith from the, the bits that I've been able to pull together he just sounds like kind of a red ass, like uh, like super confident from from the article that Mikowski uh, wrote. Yeah, he was like, yeah, I'm ready. I and you know somebody who he just wants to compete. He's a pitcher and a hitter, and he wants to go out there and he's ready for pro ball. And I look and uh, he used to be like a really uh, highly touted wrestler <laughs> before he was a baseball uh-huh. player. And I'm like, well, all right, I, I like that. You don't usually see that combination. You see the wrestlers who also play football. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously it doesn't mean he's going to be able to hit the baseball, but it's just like, that seems like a guy that's going to really go out there and bust his ass. We, we know he'll do well if a brawl breaks out. We have that yes. going for us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he's going to pin him down. Farnsworth. Yeah. <laughs> do a quick Every pin. team needs a Farnsworth. 
Yeah. Oh man, that's that's still one of the. <laughs> When uh, I forgot when he was with the Cubs, whoever went after him, it was just a big mistake, and he just took him down so quick and just. I man. think it was another pitcher, wasn't it? I think so. I think it I think it was. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly what it was, but that was. Was that Jeremy Asselt? Yes. Yes. That sounds right. To me. Yeah, that's but yeah. He used that, to be on the Royals too, I think. But isn't he like six ten too? Isn't he a tall guy too, Jeremy Asselt? I, I thought I he was, he was that tall. big, but he was a, you know he was another one of those big hulking guys. Let's yeah, Farnsworth. But uh. You know the one the one thing before we let you go, Dan. The 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 biggest thing that the takeaway you were talking about, like I I liked your Back to the Future esque article because I wanted to ask your mindset about that and like just even projecting some of the players you did and what went into that because what I will say this the last couple of drafts usually with the Tigers you know for a fact you're gonna get it was always a conclusion you're gonna an SEC pitcher that was six four or six five you get something out of the ACC. And you get something out of the Pac-12, usually some obscure player or because usually there's somebody from the Great Plains because of the 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 presence of um, Scott. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the scouting director, but um, Scott Play. Yeah, Scott Play. Yeah, you're always getting somebody from the Oklahoma's or the Dallas area or, you know, they always for a while is always they went to TCU or or Rice. David Chad factory. Yeah, the David Chad factory. Thank you. David Chad. It was what I was thinking of. Yeah, David Chad. So this I, I like the way you went with this because it, it didn't fit what the Tigers have been typically doing for the last decade. Well, you know, you think about it and uh, over the course of the last two years worth of drafts, I would say that that also has bucked the trend of what they've done over the course right. of the past decade. Right. I mean, they've, they've clearly changed something as, as it pertains to how they've scouted. So they can tell you that, you know, they're, they're still doing it all the same way, but they're not. I mean, clearly they have some, some technology available to them that they haven't had before. And I mean, we saw what they did, you know, a couple of weeks ago at the draft. I mean, that's the first time that I've ever seen them take uh, literally every single draft pick that they made. I actually knew who the guy was from the moment they said his name. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's hard in the baseball draft, but you know, mm-hmm. to your, to your question about the, the article. Yeah. We, we just decided to kind of throw it forward because really that what's really going to make or break the tigers in this rebuild is going to be not the Casey Mize and Tarek Scoobles of the world, but it's going to be the guys that they have joining them coming up a couple of years from now. So who are those guys? So, you know, we talked about, you know, Brian Pena's ability to, to work with guys at the younger levels. Uh, the, the guy who's number five on the list is Roberto Campos. I mean, obviously not many people knew anything about him. He was definitely a who player when the Tigers signed it. So to get him, uh, I mean, you're hoping that the bat is what it's advertised to be. Uh, I think there's a, there's a chance that that's, that's the case. And if he is, he's going to be a top five guy because, I mean, he, if he has what people say he has, we're talking about a pretty productive corner outfield profile. And as you know, you've got to hit in that spot. So I have Campos at five. Uh, at number four, uh, this was where we kind of decided to have a little fun with it because, again, typically top five prospects make up your latest high round draft picks. So uh, I tried to find, and I, I thank my friends over at uh, Perfect Game, but looked at some of their highly ranked guys for the years ahead and uh, put an outfielder by the name of Dylan Brewer from Clemson. 
uh, who was drafted out of high school, didn't sign with the San Francisco Giants, but he was the number four guy. He, we have him as a top 10 overall pick in the Tigers draft in 2022. Uh, number three was Colt Keith. I mean, he, you, you heard of Fox. You saw the quotes. I mean, he clearly thinks a lot of himself as a player. So it'll be fascinating to see if he's able to back that up. And in this scenario, he does. I mean, he continues to make what this 2020 draft was able to provide continue to look like a home run. So he's number three. Uh, number two is Dylan Dingler. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I think catchers take a while to develop. I think he's going to continue to need time to get acclimated. I do think the bat is probably going to need to take a little bit longer to get there, but we're still talking about a guy who's going to be very young, even in 2023. At that point, he's going to be 24 years old. I mean, what's Jake Rogers right now? 27. We're having trouble getting him into the big leagues. So, you know, that's going to be relatively young for Dingler. And then the number one prospect, and this was the one that I was looking forward to doing the most because I don't think that the number one prospect three years down the road is on the Tigers roster or in their organization. So I put Jack Leiter, the pitcher out of Vanderbilt. Obviously, the Tigers have a history with the Leiter family. They had, you know, his uncle Mark played for the Tigers back in the 90s. So, and of course, Al had a successful major league career. And you know the Tigers, they do love to take those bloodlines. So I see Jack Leiter. I mean, why not? Let's throw him into the mix. They get him in the top five of the 2021 draft. So that's how the top five Tigers prospects of 2023 would stack up in our little game. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was a really cool idea, Dan, especially because it's just it, it was forward thinking and and you used past history and yeah, I remember Mark was one of the few highlights on that. I think it was that '93 team that had just a terrible '93 '94 that just had all the hitting and all the walk rates in the world, but good or all the power, but good golly O'Malley, they could not pitch that stretch from '93 to '96. Some of the worst pitching I've ever just Mike Moore. Tim Belcher, oh man, some of the fixes, like some of the fixes, uh, some of those names I rattle out there. Sean Bergman comes to mind. John Dory, oh, it was just they uh, were such a fun team to watch hit. And then when you saw them pitch, you reminded yourself that they were such a fun team to watch hit. (laughs) (laughs) Todd Van Poppel getting some like I remember we were just talking about this yesterday on the podcast on the fantasy podcast. We're excited. I was excited to see Todd Van Poppel because it was a name. And then the 6.83 ERA or something ridiculous like that, just on that 96 squad. But I, I, I digress. Uh, Chris, do we have anything else before we wrap it up this evening? I'm trying to think if we've uh, I think we've covered quite a bit of ground this evening. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, we're still all kind of uh, riding the high of the draft, but now yeah. it's uh, yeah. Now we're thinking about the actual season, and I, I, I'm kind of in my head running scenarios of who's going to be on this 30 man taxi squad. That's that's the sort of thing that I want to figure out and play around with soon, but. Uh, I don't know if that's the sort of thing we want to kind of throw throw at the wall here on a podcast, but yeah. Other than that, I don't know. It's good to hear Dan's voice again. Yes, that's no for baseball. sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's good to hear you, Dan. And again, congratulations on the when uh, when when do you expect it's going to be a or do you have is a boy or girl or you're not saying or kind of like waiting to. <laughs> it's a girl. Okay, uh, it'll be a baby girl, uh, and she'll be here uh, July 29th is when she's scheduled. So. If she comes a little bit early, oh. then uh, she might be an opening day baby if Major League Baseball is able to get up off the ground. So we'll see. Oh, yeah. very nice. Yeah, again, congratulations on that. And uh, let's have this kind of a mini MCB roundtable. So 
we'll look forward to uh, yeah. If there's any if there's any content or anything like that uh, coming out, we'll we'll keep you posted. But uh, again, Dan, thanks for joining us this evening, and we'll, we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Good to hear from you guys. Would have expected to have seen you at the ballpark at least a couple of times by this point had we been playing baseball. Yeah, so it's nice to hear your voices too. Appreciate we had, the time. We had press credentials and everything too. It was it was glorious. We were all set. <laughs> we were all set, Dan. It was Chris we were and I were officially was, official. Yeah, it was official, official, and we were so pumped and yeah. So nah, it, you know what can you do? So <laughs> there's always next year. I think Harry Carey told us that. That's right. <laughs>
Thank you, Rodríguez. Thank you, Rodríguez. Tu padre, que te llamo. Padre. Adiós, adiós, adiós. Bye, 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 bye. Bueno, te quiero. Cuídate. Hasta luego.